right, here we go. This is episode 64 of a brand new. Nice. It says in case you missed it there. I'm so, I'm so bad at titling all this shit. But <laughs> it is a brand new Stick to Hockey Live. There he is, Anthony DeMarco, coming to us live from the province of Quebec. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. Enjoying some uh, really good playoffs. One of the best first rounds in quite some time. And, uh, an exciting second round getting ready to kick off tonight. Yeah, how about that? You go right from two game sevens two days ago to a game seven last night. Boom, second round. No no stopping, no catching your breath, none of that crap. It is boom right into the second round every other night. This is just awesome. Yeah, and, you know, we had some thrillers, obviously two major upsets. I think the statistically it's the second biggest upset in NHL history with the Florida Panthers upsetting the Boston Bruins. You get Seattle dethroning the reigning cup champs in Colorado and it makes for great theater, right? I think the West aside from Colorado losing out has played out at least personally how I would have expected it, but the East man, that's completely out of left field for me. I got one out of four right in my predictions, both teams. So I expected to go the Eastern conference final are gone. So, yeah, the East is an absolute wash for me. Yeah, it is crazy. Anthony Sanfilippo from Crossing Broad is going to join us in just a moment. He's going to give us a little bit of time today. Also, uh, on this edition, we'll take a look at that second round as uh, Tone will join us for a little edition of Tone's takes, get some plays on tonight's game. We'll look ahead to, to you know, how now the field has been reshaped, you know, just that quick in, what, I guess two weeks. The field just gets cut in half from 16 to 8. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that there's so much to learn from these playoffs about today's NHL. You know, the NHL back in the day, it was, you know, the old joke was, well, everybody makes the playoffs in the NHL. Well, that was partially true because <laughs> just about everybody did make it. You had what a 21 year, 21, 22 league team. So only, you know, six or seven teams were missing out on making the playoffs. But it's different now, half in, half out. And I think what it takes to to build a team that can go on a run now is far different, too, because you have 32 teams and you need depth. And, you know, these cups that are being won last year, the year before and this year and probably next year, even to some extent, while navigating this flat cap world is very difficult to do. Yeah. And for a team, let's say like Tampa Bay, how they're historic three-year run of going to the Stanley Cup final comes to an end. It, it's been really interesting to see how teams have navigated these these uh, the salary cap constraints that they've been dealt with. And you look at an expansion team like the Seattle Kraken, where they don't have one major, major contract sticking out. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think it's Jared McCann who makes the most money. Maybe Audrey Burakovsky. Jaden Schwartz is up there too. But they don't have that one guy sticking out. It's more kind of spread out evenly across the board. And you know, you finally see like the same thing. They don't have a huge money player there either. Yeah. And then you look at a team like Toronto who has four big money players or three specifically, and they are finally able to get over the hump and now are facing off against the Florida Panthers. So it's really interesting this year specifically to see how different teams have gone with different approaches. And some of them have ended up in the same spot to this point. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Uh, Anthony Sanfilippo from Crossing Broad, Crossing Broadcast. Know the goalie. Uh, what else are you doing? You got anything else you need? We need to plug because you, you got a yeah, lot going on, man. You're getting pulled. Well, I got the Phillies podcast too. You didn't mention that one. 
Which what's that any, one called? There's any if there's any crossover from, you know, your hockey Ooh. audience to baseball. It's, it's called crossed, crossed up. up. Yeah, oh, crossed up. Yeah, okay. crossed up. Crossed, crossed up. Crossed podcast. Yeah. So the goalie. Yeah. Yeah, other uh, we're all four for four guys here, Bo. You know, four for four, <laughs> the whole thing. You know, which uh, I think is bullshit. By the way, I think the four for four is way less than people think it is. I agree. But anyway, that's a whole nother episode. Um, but Aunt, we only got you for a, a brief period of time today with all the work you're doing. First of all, congratulations to you guys on reaching what 200 episodes on Snow the Goal. We did. We yeah, uh, we surpassed 200. We're actually, I think, 201 now. Um, we didn't do one last week, but we are doing one this week. Um, kind of the, there just wasn't a lot going on. It's not, a, I mean, we, we kind of hit a little bit of a lull, right? <laughs> with, like with speculation with flyer stuff. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of spe- a lot of speculation, uh, but nothing that's really kind of juicy speculation. It's really kind of, you know, us kind of speculating on our own. And, and if, unless you're doing some digging, like our, like the buddy above me, who's doing all the digging, right? I mean, he's got nothing better to do <laughs> up there than to, than to dig away. Um, I had to take it to bond, to, to bond from you. Then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, yeah, then it's just, then it is pure speculation at this point. So, but, uh, but the playoffs have been interesting. They've been fun. And there's uh, so much to learn from these playoffs, isn't there? In today's NHL, it's different. It completely is. I'll tell you what, and I felt confident with my first round selections going in and I got the first five right, like nailed them exactly. Number of games and everything. I was like, man, I'm doing good. And then the last three series all went the opposite way that I predicted. And, <laughs> and now I don't look, now I don't look as smart. You down. <laughs> now, I don't, now I don't look as smart. Yeah, it's crazy because. I picked the Rangers to win that series over the Devils. I didn't think the yeah. Devils would get the goaltending, but in comes Akira Schmidt all of a sudden. He and he outdoes. Yeah, I mean, he out, ends up outdoing Shesterkin, who didn't have the type of season he had the year prior. I thought maybe, you know, the Islanders would give Carolina more because Sorokin had a great year, but he didn't have a great playoff. And so it's been it's been wild. But let's start with the Flyers and the president. Oh, I say Ant. Jesus Christ, I got poor Anthony's on the fucking show. We always do this. We always know, go the, through this the, issue. <laughs> Tone is obviously an Ant, too. He'll become for Tone's takes. But Anthony Sanfilippo, um, what's the latest you're hearing on the president of hockey operations? and Or at least, you know, what's the sense in the direction they're going here? Is it going to be a traditional hierarchy? Yeah, no, I don't think it is. I mean, that's the that's the thing that I've heard more than anything else is that it's not going to be traditional in that this role whoever takes on the role of president of hockey operations isn't going to be like an overseer so much of hockey operations by themselves it's almost going to be like that this person whoever it is is going to be on the same plane as Danny Briere who they're going to have to assume as the general manager um uh, even though we still technically got that stupid interim tag, um, but that they're going to be kind of the same weight as far as their responsibilities. Uh, and they will both answer um, to Dan Hilferty. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. And what the unique thing about it to me guys is, is that it's also not going to be traditional in the sense of, Former GM you know, that graduates to president. Yeah, well, not only that, it, it's not only going to be, it's not going to be, you're right, it's that, but it's also not going to be traditional in the sense that it's going to be really deep hands-on roster management stuff. It's going to be a little bit more of just being 
a, a marketable public face that can that can talk about the entire organization but let Danny kind of do, have the autonomy to run the team as he sees fit as far as the the management of it and that this person kind of is more of an overseer of the operation so a liaison between the fans and ownership is basically what it would be and the business department and the hockey operations department correct correct okay. that is that is what it's supposed to be yes am i crazy in thinking that a guy that would be really good at that particular job is Eddie Olchuk. Yeah, very much so. I mean, considering the media background, his yeah, story, well, sure. everything, right? Yeah, I mean, he'd be great. I mean, yeah, sense I, my base? Sure, he would. He'd be great. I mean, it, I, I I don't understand the the reasoning behind that. I don't know why that is such a such an important aspect of this role. Well, I think part of it is is the the optics of a lot of things that have happened over a number of years now, which you guys have pointed out quite a bit. Okay. I'm gonna, can, can I just make a, a, a quick thing with, I mean, look, and look, optics matter. I mean, I get mm-hmm. it, right. They do matter. They're real. But at the same time, I don't think you eschew the needs of the role and the management. Yeah. Just to, just to, manage the optics better to look better you know what i'm saying the first thing's got to be the right person for the job they put the right product on the ice yes and then you worry about the optics you worry about the optics after the fact so i think that it's kind of almost a if in fact this is how it pans out and this is the the route that they go it's almost kind of a backwards approach to it not to say it's wrong but it's the tail wagging the dog a little bit they're looking at it from i mean it, who knows this could work this could be the new way of doing things. they they yeah. could they could be on to something here and then everybody will be copycatting the flyers in in five years right yeah, it I mean, could be like the progressive thing right it, it could well be i'm not trying to knock it as an idea but it's certainly approaching it from a whole, a whole different side yeah, and we know First Billy King is a guy that, even though he worked in a traditional hierarchy of a front office, both with the Nets and the Sixers, I, I think he's a guy. He's a really smart guy. I could see him, you know, being on that advisory side, kind of saying, "Hey, just because it's always been done this way doesn't mean that that's the way is the most efficient." So I don't know. Um, yeah, Anthony Demarco, the latest on names. You've been you've dropped a lot of names out there of of people that they've talked to or are we down to second interviews at this point has the list been whittled down is there any new names to add i mean uh, the last few days it's been pretty radio silent like i would concur with ant that it's kind of reached a point now like i would assume based on what i heard early last week that they are starting to get to center second interviews but they have really kind of kept it tight to the vest i mean i'm still leaning that cami granado is a name that i think that will at least get to second interviews like again this is like i said a lot of it is based in speculation but there is a consistency around things that him and and i have both heard that we've talked about like privately that lends us both to believe that not to say granado's a favorite or she's the slam dunk but i feel like she's going to be a name that stays in here right to the end what do you think Ant? do you, you think that's fair to say I do. I, I I do think that she's going to be in it right to the end. 
and it, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, we know why Billy King's company was brought in. They're they're really tied into um, executive diversity hires, right? And yep. and uh, and I think that's part of it, right? Um, you, you know, we know that there's a connection with Neil Glassberg and Vancouver. Uh, the Canucks are a client of his. Jim Rutherford, specifically, the general manager, is a client of his. So it makes a lot of sense that you can connect those dots as well. And we also know that Val Camillo's really big on promoting women in in hockey and and really kind of getting um, you know giving uh, women opportunities in positions that they really haven't had before. Um, and so, like you, you put all of these pieces together, and and it makes a lot of sense that Cam. Granado will be one of the final names being considered for this position. Well, and is Cameron Granado in consideration to be the president of hockey operations, or is this a different role? Because she's an think, AGM now, technically. I think they would find, I, like, even if it's not, because I've heard that they may bring in two executives. Um, I, I and I've heard over the weekend that even if it's not president of hockey ops, she would get like a vice president role. And like we've had heard a lot of smoke around Barry Hanrahan. So I'm wondering that in addition to the AGM, Hanrahan holds an EVP title, if I'm not mistaken. And so I'm wondering is just like, could she maybe assume some of, if not all of Barry's uh, responsibilities, even if she doesn't come out as president? Because you also have to take in consideration of Scott Mellenby. And I think that if this was a traditional hockey ops hire, president of hockey ops hire, I think Scott Mellenby would have had the major inside track because, and I think Ant's heard the same thing, is that the scouting department, and I've heard the name Dave Brown specifically, who oversees the pro scouting, are very big proponents of bringing in Scott Mellenby. And well, Dave Brown and Ma- Dave Brown and Mellenby were teammates here. Exactly, and I think they played yeah. together in Edmonton as well in the yeah. early nineties. Yeah, yeah. So you're going back, you know, three plus decades, and. You know, maybe Dave Brown's a guy that feels some uncertainty as to where his job is. And if you if he kind of pushes for a guy that he played with 30 odd years ago, maybe that secures his job. And I don't think that's a slight against Scott Mellenby. I really do think Scott Mellenby is qualified. Yeah, he's more than qualified. But to Ant's point, it's like, are you going to bring in Scott Mellenby to work closely with Val Camillo and market the brand and deal with season ticket holders? Like, it just seems like that would be like, an overreach given what you're looking for. And in my mind, and this is no slant uh, or no slight rather against Danny Breer and his capabilities of running this hockey team, but it just feels to me that it made the most sense from the beginning for Danny to have assumed the role as president of hockey ops. And he was groomed to make, and and you can speak to this. Was he not kind of groomed to do that role in Maine? He absolutely was. And I think that, I think that he would be better suited ultimately for that role. But I also think that Danny is. He wants his hands on the wheel. He's Yeah. He's, he's driven by that competitive, yep. that competitive juice. Right. And, and so it only comes from accountability in your decisions. Yes. And I think that, and I think yeah. that that's, that's why he wants to, te- you know, he wants to test drive that. I think that position first before he considers something um, uh, a little bit bigger. And, um, Look, I mean, you mentioned the the potential to replace Barry, and if Cammy was to kind of well, well, would Cammy fit that? I, you know, she's an assistant GM in Vancouver. Can she be an assistant GM here? Sure, and and get that VP title, which kind of elevates it slightly. Sure, oh, it's not lateral, yeah. But do I think that she's the person that you want to kind of come in and 
handle the contracts and and handle no. the salary cap? No, I don't. I think and Emily so Constantine would be better at that. She would have been. Perfect. She would have been better at that than for sure than than Cammy. So I I, I gotta wonder if there is a, a notion that okay, let's bring her in to replace Barry. Well, then who's doing contracts? Yeah, because you it ain't. It's that. it's not going to be Cammy, right? Yeah. So that so that's so it's almost like you're now going to hire multiple people to fill you know roles that were handled by fewer people and that's not a bad thing hey more jobs right it's good you know you're growing and you're you have more people involved so i'm not knocking that um approach what i do though question is is that you know if you if you're going to sit there and say she's going to she would replace this person well then yeah but only part of that person's job now i I can't imagine it's the full thing well there could be some kind of real reallocation of what each person does you know, I mean, I think it's imperative that every organization in pro sports, I mean, you saw it in the NFL with Joe Banner, you know, mm-hmm. you have to have a capologist in these. And look, especially the in hockey, especially yeah. in a hockey. It's ridiculous. It's so complicated. Yeah. yeah. No, no move clauses, modify no move clauses, no trade list, you know, all this stuff and guaranteed money. But the thing about it is, you know, front-loaded contracts so they're easier to move at the end with real cash. All that stuff, not to mention LTIR, you know, all that stuff. But th- that person, you know, oftentimes advises the GM, like, here's what we can do based on this situation with these contracts. Like, that person's got to be a whisper of understanding not only the CBA, but ways to exploit the CBA, frankly. Yeah to be competitive in today's game and and it's weird we're talking about them maybe bringing in multiple people and i agree with ed it feels like you know danny's gonna have complete autonomy over how to build this hockey team and we do know that there are quite a lot of guys in that you know in that in that group that are in the direct hockey ops and you look at guys like tom minton and alan mccauley and let's say ian anderson who are kind of more behind the scenes but i had heard like last week i think it was that like there were some people that were just like thinking like, oh, what the hell was Chuck doing? Like giving these random titles to Allen or, or Tom Minton. And then it makes, and this, and can speak to this better than me because he was way more on the scene and with his hands on the wheel during that time where we were talking like 15, 16 months ago. And I wonder, are you going to want to kind of bring in more guys kind of muddy the waters a bit? Like, and do you think that what they did with Macaulay and Minton, like a couple or last year, rather, was kind of a bad thing and rub people the wrong way? Well, here's how I look at it. I, I, I don't mind you having as many people as you feel necessary in roles, right? As they long as every, as long as the roles are defined, exactly. As long as the yeah. roles are defined and everybody knows their lane. If you have a, a situation where you bring in all these people and you don't, you know, define what it is, you know, that you are responsible for, and that it's it's ends up becoming a little bit more of a inmates running the asylum kind of situation. That's not good, and and that's going to have people are going to everything's going to rub each other the wrong way, right? Because everybody's kind of you know trying to get it's Game of Thrones is basically what ends up happening in that yeah. it, you know everybody's trying to become the the top dog um, uh, at some point somewhere, even if it's not in Philadelphia. But as long as the roles are clearly defined, then fine. And, I, you know, you can you can give anybody any title you want as long as that's, you know, determined what responsibility they have. And there's just no margin for error. There's no margin for ambiguity in today's game. It's too tight. 
yeah. in this league now with 32 teams that those things, those little decisions and who's doing what and knowing their role and staying in their lane and all has to be done at an extremely high level or you're not going to survive in today's game. No, you it know, matters. It, it, it matters. It does. I, I think it's a, yeah. such a huge effect on it. Um, and um, let me ask you, San Filippo, before we got to get you out of here. Yeah. Um, there's a couple RFA contracts. What are you doing with Morgan Frost? I think that they're the question is you're ask, if you're asking Anthony or if you're asking what Anthony would do or what the team's going to do, I think the team's going to give him a bridge contract is what I think that they're going to do. Um, I'm still not convinced that he's a long-term answer and maybe the bridge contract helps uh, determine that a little bit further. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where because he had a really good stretch there at the end of the season, but it's almost like the stretch that he had was once the pressure of being a successful team uh wore off right once kind of coincided yeah kind of coincided with so my concern is is he a guy that could do this and perform at this level in more high leverage games um and so that so i'm still willing to kind of see it i'm not saying let's you know get rid of him um so i'm willing to stick with him for a little bit but i wouldn't make a, any kind of major financial commitment at all not uh, a so Faraby type contract. Yeah, no, I think I think you can do something short, something and, like Tippett maybe, and, and palatable. Yeah, short and palatable. That way, in case it turns out that he's not this, and that he can't play at that level when games matter a little bit more, then you can move on a little bit easier. And he still um, has a high enough pedigree that other teams would take a chance on him if the deal yeah. is short as well. Yeah, so that's what I, that's what that's what I would do. I and I think that that's I hope that's 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 the direction that they go in. Um, Carter Hart. He can be extended as of July 1st. He'll be in the final year of this contract. Um, you know, we know he's 24. He's going to be 25 in August. And he could be a real big part of this. But I did just, in his media availability, my conversation with him, which will be on Flyers Daily on Friday, he wants to win. You know, th I had this notion that, oh, he's going to stay here. and But to me, there was a... I'm not saying he made me feel like he wanted to leave, but the timing of this rebuild, I think, is going to affect his decision. And if I'm Carter Hart, I'm not signing a contract this summer nope. for a couple of reasons. One, I'm betting on myself. Two, I need to know what the league economics are another calendar year away right? as the cap starts to escalate because it's all about percentage of cap. And lastly, if I want to win, I got to see what happens this year and if another progressive step is taken forward and how I feel about it. I agree. I agree. And you might have a better idea that in season, right? As you approach the trade deadline. Good. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, things, deals always happen with guys who are, who get rumored to be out there, right? Because they're pending free agents. And all of a sudden you see, oh, they signed. They signed a five year deal right at the day of the deadline or right the day before Lawton the deadline. Um, right. Yeah. Actually, Scott Lawton did it with the Flyers. So I think that that's, a more likely path that he would want to go down. But I also think the Flyers kind of feel that way too. I think the Flyers want to want to see what they are and see what the economics are and see what, what makes sense and also see what Sam Erson does with a, a, a little bigger bite of the pie, right? Yeah, so right, sure, sure. I, I think that I think that that's probably the way to go. And it's not saying we don't want Carter Hart. That's why we're not extending him. I mean, I'm not, I don't think they're saying that at all. I think that this is the equivalent of what you have in the NFL where that fifth year is not necessarily picked up and they announce it before the season, knowing the player is going to play there. 
and then see what the player does. And if the player f- then fits into your plans moving forward, you then sign him, you know, at the, you know, during the season or at the end of the season, they have the ability to put a franchise tag on a player. It's a little bit different in the NFL there, but at the same time, I think you could do something similar where you can get a deal done prior to the deadline, right before the deadline, if you want to hang on to the player. So, so I, I think that that's kind of where the flyers will take it with Carter Hart. Yeah. I think they'll, they'll kind of both be on the same page here. Last thing before we get you out of here and after yeah. I continue, um, six days, it's the NHL draft lottery, May yep. 8th. Does the hockey gods put a big fat smooch on the flyers and move <laughs> up to two or one? I, I mean, I'm running this tankathon thing in, and 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 I know the Washington Capitals have a half a percent chance less, but Jesus Christ, they end up in the top two so many times when I spin that. I don't know if that's just because I can't fathom them winning it, and so it pops out to me. But geez, <laughs> yeah, no, I look, I, I I'm a I'm an odds guy, I'm a math guy, right? I, I always put I always put in my thought processes like if i'm playing blackjack or or something or, or i'm looking at be a baseball and you know trying to figure out the the calculated, the statistical odds. calculated odds for things of happening and um and with the odds being a combined 13 point whatever percent Fine. that they go one or two i'm gonna say no <laughs> that it doesn't go in their favor it, it there is a better than zero chance yes that they can that they could move up in, into one or two and it would be it would be um franchise altering if they do market altering yeah but i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say it's gonna happen i'm not gonna put you know that can't control it that juju out into the world that ain't gonna happen yeah that's my job i'll do that (laughs) i I, I said yesterday i was on a meeting yesterday and i said i don't even want number two i want number one well, of I'm course, you want, to be greedy. you want to be yeah. greedy, but you'll take Fantilli if, if you get to, right? You'll, yeah, you'll be if happy I have to, but I mean, uh, otherwise I'll take the dart. I'd rather the dart. <laughs> Not that, nah, look, I think Fantilli is going to control the game in a far different way than yeah. the dart, yeah. but he's going to control the game. <laughs> right. So, all right. Uh, you got Philly's coverage today? Uh, I got a story. I already wrote a story. I don't know if, it, I don't know if they put it up yet. I got to check and see, but I kind of wanted to talk about how, uh, who who Bryce Harper coming back into the lineup? Who that's going to affect the most in a positive way? So mm-hmm. that's my well, story. Hopefully, it affects the team the most. And well, it will affect the team, way. but I was looking at other yeah, individuals. Individual. Yeah. Who's coming out? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. is what you're saying. And thanks for jumping on. Thanks for giving us some time today, man. Appreciate you it. it. Check Anytime. out any stuff uh, at Aunt Sam Philly on Twitter. Crossing Broad, Crossing Broadcast, Crossed Up, and of course, know the goalie as well. <laughs> Be well, my friend. Thanks, Take guys. Talk to you soon. There he is, Anthony Sam Filippo with a quick joiner for today and uh you know some of these contracts like the frost deal and maybe heart and uh, you gotta and we're talking about salary cap and managing that cap that's an area where they got to be a little more stringent yeah because I think. you know s- sometimes it works out giving like those longer term deals right off the hop like obviously the Faraby one doesn't look great this year but i think over time it will age okay Sanheim too, like, but he had a bridge deal, so maybe he's not a good example. But you often look at these long-term contracts that the Flyers have had committed, and I do think that sometimes, even though the numbers may be fair, it's a bit overzealous for where you're at organizationally. And I'm in lockstep with Ant. I do think that Frost will get bridged. Um, I do think they're they're more bullish on him than Ant is, and I'm more in with Ant that. 
I, I'm not sure how he fits long, long term, but I, I see like an Owen Tippett deal, maybe two years, $2 million in that range for, for Morgan Frost. I think that'd be fair. And the other one that's interesting to me is Noah Cates, because mm. he's a guy that I think that I, I do think it's more likely than not that they bridge him. But I think that he has solidified himself as part of the program. And I think he did a lot throughout the entire season to prove more of what he is. And I look for comparables if you want to go more longer term. And it's tough, right? Like a rookie straight out of the NCAA, 24 years old. It was tough to find a comparable for Noah Cates. But given how elite his defense is, and that truly was what he was this year, was an elite defensive player. And the best comparable I could find was Nicolas Roy from the Vegas Golden Knights. And last year, he's one year older than Noah Cates, so take that for what it's worth. And last summer, he signed a five-year, $3 million a year contract. Um, and I, I wonder that if maybe the Flyers could look at something like that, you're going to buy up, I would imagine, I think it'd be three years of his UFA status. You'd have him under contract until he was just about 29, 30 years old. And I, I think like that's something that personally, this is not me saying that they're going to do it, but that's something that if you could get Noah Cates in that $3 million a year range, I think that's something I would heavily look at because I do think he's, he's going to be part, a part of this program for quite a long time. You know, who I look at as a comparable for him and I could see them going this route as well on like a five or six year deal is Philip Deneau. Yeah. No. You know, Deneau's they, not they, the most dynamic offensive player. We know that, you know, you go back to his days with Montreal and that's basically when he was in that same age range, that 22, 23, 24 year old, you know, those years, I mean, in the 52 games in 1718, he had, uh, excuse me, let's see here, 25 points in those 52, 40 points in 1617 as a 23 year old, 13 goals, 27 assists. In 18, 19, he had 53 points. I think this is kind of what you're looking at. And, and I think that Cates is even a better defender than Deneau, although I thought Deneau was one of the best 200-foot centermen in the league. He got yeah. a $5.5 million deal out in LA. Now, that's unrestricted free agency open market. Yeah. But I think you could be looking at something like that. And I agree with you. I think that they think so much of him that a Farabee-type deal into his free agent years makes a lot of sense for him, especially when you consider where he was drafted too. And, and what the, I, I don't think this should play a part of it, but the expectation of what you thought the player would be at the NHL level. And if you look at, him. and if you look at Deneau's contract before he became a UFA, a UFA that he signed with the, uh, with the um, Montreal Canadians, he got three years at $3 million. Yep. So, I mean, I don't know if Cates is going to be able to lock in North of five right off the bat. Like he only has a, a full year of NHL experience under his belt. But I was six, I, I could see it at four and a half. If you, yeah, the more years you go, the higher it goes. Like if you want yeah. to go six, seven years, then you're going to be looking in the mid fours to five. But I'm saying if you want to keep it to like that five year ish range, I think you could probably get Kate's in that three to three and a half, just because you have to pay to buy up those, um, those um, yep. UFA years. So if you're, and I don't know if Cates would want to go longer because he's starting so late in comparison yeah. to maybe his contemporaries. Are you going to want to lock yourself in on a six, seven year contract until you're in your middle thirties? Because in my opinion, if you, if Noah Cates becomes a UFA at 29 years old, 
which I believe that's how old Phil Deneau was when he signed two years ago with Los Angeles. I would have to check. He's 28, yeah. Yeah, so he was 28. So I think if Noah Cates can kind of set himself up similarly, like let's say you do a four-year deal at $3 million a year, hypothetically, for Noah Cates, and then you're a UFA at 28 years old, then you could probably walk yourself in and then you account for inflation and the cap rising. Maybe you walk yourself into a six by six million dollar contract yep. when you're 28 years old. So, I mean, I again, I think it's still a very big possibility that they go bridge with Noah Cates as well. Maybe you get him at two years at one and a half million or whatever, what what have you, easy enough for me to say. But I do think a four or five year deal in that three to three and a half million dollar range would be something that would be palatable for both sides. Yeah, I agree. And to me, he's one of those guys Ant, that. There's nothing flashy about him. He's not going to get fans to jump up and down out of their seats and, you know, put you on the edge of your seat every time he's on the ice. But God damn, looking at these playoffs, he's the exact kind of player that you better have on your roster. And if you have a guy like him, a young guy like him, and if Couturier can come back and defend like he defends and somehow you can get some high end talent, you've got, you've got a lot of key recipes for success, but you still need so much talent and speed still well that and that's what what they're missing right like we we've talked about that the flyers probably have enough players that could play in your bottom six until the cows come home honestly you could fill up two rosters with it and you look at a lot of the players that you think maybe are going to fill out that bottom six next year and you could even eliminate tanner lazinski and maybe even wade allison from that but you look at maybe a guy like uh, Elliot Denwaye, maybe he's your 4C to start next year. You look at, could Tyson Forster lock down a job full-time on that third line? As far as fourth liners go, I mean, I, I guess maybe Bobby Brink fits that mold, but I would imagine he gets more time down in Lehigh. Maybe that opens it up for a guy like Wade Allison to get one more kick at the can to solidify himself with John Tortorella. But then you look at what are they going to do? Are they going to bring anyone in? Like you heard... Uh, Jeff Merrick on 32 Thoughts last week float out the idea of Blake Wheeler. And the mm-hmm. only way that that would ever happen is if you're sending Ryan Ellis's contract the other way. I spoke to someone this morning about that. And I mean, he, he didn't completely shut it down as a possibility, but he did seem to not really love it based on two things. Number one, the contract. Like that's, and I think Wheeler makes north of $8 million, like 8.25. Yeah, two more, two more mil than what Ellis is on the hook for. Yeah, so you're going to be absorbing that. And the positional thing, they're so locked in at wing is that are you going to bring in Blake Wheeler just to be another winger? Now, I mean, you theoretically, you could play Blake Wheeler on the fourth line with Den Waye and Delorier. Like, it doesn't matter all that much. And I don't think that it's a, uh, a definite He's not waving his no-move clause to come here to play on the fourth line with Den Waye and Delorier, though. Well, I mean, shit's getting really bad in Winnipeg, so maybe he's going to waive it to just go anywhere. Who knows at yeah. that point? He is you an American. You could flip him at the deadline, too. Yeah, you could flip him at the deadline. I, I just, I think the Flyers, in terms of Ellis, um, in terms of getting out from Ellis, I think they're going to explore a different avenue because, I mean, I, I just threw this out there, and, and this is something I think the Flyers would be willing to do, but it obviously it takes two to tango. But I think the Ellis for someone like Myers would make a lot of sense. Because with the expectation that there's a, you know, a good decent possibility that Provorov isn't here next year, could yeah. you bring in Philip Myers to play on the right side of your defense for 
X amount of months until a guy like, let's say, Ronnie Adderd is ready. And what so, is Phil the- Myers, you're not talking about Tyler Myers. No, I'm talking about Tyler Myers. I'm sorry. Not okay, Phil not Myers. Phil Myers. Tyler Myers. Phil Myers. Oh, my God. We don't want to go down that road again. No, yeah, yeah Tyler mm-hmm. Myers from Vancouver. Uh, yeah. I think that he's a guy that maybe you bring him in. He plays with a Cam York. Uh, you know, I don't think that highly of Tyler Myers, especially at $6 million, but he has one year left. At least he could plug a hole. You, The Flyers are all seemingly are in constant need of right shot defensemen. So maybe he can come in and kind of bridge the gap to a guy like Ronnie Adderd or whoever that may be, even if it's a younger left shot guy, like an Andre or Zamula or what have you. So yeah. I think that's something they would like to do more, but I wouldn't completely rule out, as Jeff Merrick alluded to, looking to bring in a guy like Blake Wheeler if it involves a guy like Ryan Ellis going back the other way. Yeah, and see, I, I think that's interesting and makes sense because of this. This team's not pushing all in next year. So if they're absorbing extra cap next year and the possibility of being able to flip that player, now you're out from under two things. You're out from under what you acquired and you're out from under Ryan Ellis's LTIR situation, yeah, which is just it is not ideal. And it's going to be a hassle because I think he has four years beyond this one. He does, yeah. And so let's say in two years from now, the Flyers want to actually start like making moves and trying to be a competitive team again. It's going to be a pain in the ass. And I know that you can exceed the cap by 10, 10%, I believe it is, uh, up until the opening day. But it's just a hassle. You're not accruing cap space. Your cap stays stagnant the whole way through. And the Flyers are in a position, to your point right now, that they could afford to have a Tyler Myers or a Blake Wheeler play out the final year of their contracts, even if it is at an egregious number for what they give on the ice. And maybe a team like Winnipeg, who, you know, there was a report that came out last week of how they've lost 3,000 season ticket holders. And oh, their CEO, yeah. Mark Shipman, has like made it known to their uh, ownership group that things aren't going great business-wise. So I don't think that they're looking to make a rebuild here or enter a rebuild. I think that they're in a position where they're going to try and turn this thing around quickly. So would they be able to, you know, chew on the LTIR situation, the LTIR situation of Ryan Ellis, if it means that they could get out from $8 million of Blake Wheeler and make some uh, additions. And the same thing goes for Vancouver. They're not going to be rebuilding. They want to get back on the horse. They want to get back in the playoffs. They want to theoretically make the most of this Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser core. Maybe not so much Brock Besser, but the other two for sure, along with Thatcher Demko. So would they be able to absorb that LTIR situation with Ellis if it means liberating $6 million of immediate cap space that you can use this summer? Yeah, And here's the thing, why this is even more important, why a team like Winnipeg does not want to go through a rebuild, why Vancouver does not want to go through a rebuild. It's not just the Canadian dollar. It's the fact that we're emerged now from the pandemic. Exactly. And there is money to be made in the playoffs is hand over fist. It's all gravy at that point. You're not paying your players anymore. You know what I mean? That's where an organization can become flush with cash. Now, some organizations like the Flyers are in a financial position because of the corporate ownership where they don't have to do that. I think they tried a little bit for a while. It obviously didn't work, but they're not going in that direction. But coming out of this pandemic and as restricted as it was in Manitoba or in British Columbia and all of Canada, as you know, you lived it, then these teams 
want to get flush with cash again. They've been floating here for a while. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, especially Winnipeg, that's a very sensitive market to the whole notion that could even hint towards relocation, right? Like they've been through it oh, before. They lost yeah. a team. This is the newest uh, relocation team. Like obviously we have the expansion teams, but not counting them that this was the last relocation in Winnipeg. And I do think that they have a hell of a fan base. Like I believe it was Jesse Granger, the athletic who covers the Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And he was saying that it is just an amazing building to be in and an amazing atmosphere when they have those whiteouts and stuff. But that has been a bad situation in Winnipeg probably ever since they lost to the Golden Knights, coincidentally, five years ago in the Knights' inaugural season in 2018, the Western Conference Final. And you start seeing guys go out the door like Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers. They move on from Patrick Laine. Paul Maurice retires. Yeah, Bufflin retires. Like you, you see your coach, who was only the second coach since the team moved back to Winnipeg, and Paul Maurice walk away from the team last year. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Kevin Cheveldayoff, who I think deserves to shoulder a lot of this blame. I, I think that he has stuck to his guns and hitched his wagon to that group for far too long now. Tries to double down or triple down again by bringing in a veteran coach like Rick Bonus, who is from Winnipeg, from that market. And then he goes absolutely vitriol, full on vitriol mode after the playoff exit. And they've already announced that he's coming back. So I think there's going to be big changes in Winnipeg, but I don't think that it's going to be in the way of a fire sale and a rebuild. And the other thing that I, I brought up with someone I was speaking to today, or they brought up to me, was that there were discussions. And I think Anthony Sanfilippo was the one to first report this going back almost three years now. There were discussions surrounding Provorov to Winnipeg. And, you know, you look at that defense and you could certainly use a second, uh, a second left shot defenseman to plug in behind Josh Morrissey. If you go into next year with Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMello, Ivan Provorov, Neil Pionk as your top four, it looks pretty good. And Rick Bonus, known as the defense whisperer, we saw what we did with what he did with Miro Heiskanen in Dallas, what he did with Josh Morrissey this year in Winnipeg. And I wonder if they could maybe revisit talks of that as maybe even part of a bigger deal. Maybe you try and get Winnipeg's first round pick. I, I don't know where they're selecting. I would imagine it's in the late teens or the mid teens. So, I mean, maybe there's something bigger at play. And that's more speculation more than anything. But I think Winnipeg is a team, given where they're at organizationally and what they want and what they need, because from a business standpoint, that maybe the Flyers can look to take advantage of. Yeah, no doubt. Um, last thing before we get to Tone's takes. This is in the States, the Game 7 between the Panthers, uh, the Panthers Game 7 and the Bruins Game 7 were the most watched first round game ever on cable and the most watched first rounder on any channel in over 10 years. That's incredible. Great I mean, I think, it, I think it speaks to how good the theater was of this first round. And it was one of the first rounds in a while where you didn't have a single sweep. And the I think there was only one series that ended in five, if I'm not mistaken. Was there one mm-hmm. that ended in five? Uh, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of which one did. But uh, I think actually all of them may have gone to six or later, wasn't it? No, oh yeah, Vegas was five. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Vegas ended it in five. But aside from that, every series was tight. Like when you go six, seven games with seven out of eight series, it kind of speaks to what the NHL is looking for. And they're looking for parity. They want yeah. the most competitive teams across the board. And I think that's what caught people's attentions here in this first round was how people who thought, and myself included, I predicted Boston to sweep Florida. Now, I did that primarily because I just thought the discrepancy between the goaltending was far too large and the goaltending really evened out as we got deeper into that series and we saw what happened in Game 7, even though I think Swayman played all right, or actually pretty well, if I'm being honest. But you're seeing how even a lot of these teams are and you're seeing, you know, an eight seed Florida Panthers with one of, if not the best wingers in the NHL, take the best regular season team in the history of the NHL to the limit and then actually beat them. And you're seeing Seattle, a second year franchise dethrone the Colorado avalanche, the reigning cup champions. You're seeing a team like Minnesota, who's playing $12 million below the cap take a really legitimate cup contender in the Dallas stars to six games. And I think that's what you want to see in your first round is the most possible competitive series available and possible. And I think that's why that game seven got so many views. And if you look at new eyeballs coming in and checking out that game seven and getting to watch Matthew Kachuk, because he is a fucking star, man. He was involved in everything. You know, he sets up the screen on the game-winning goal. He, he's the reason why Verhage's able to to find the back of the net there. Swayman's worried about him, worried about him, and taking a swipe at him on the game-tying goal by Montour. I know. <laughs> to me, he just grabbed this. You know, there's players that are great, and they're they're great players, and they can make dynamic things happen and make great plays and star plays. And then there's players that. Are, are really good and, and great like Kachuk is, but that also absorbs so much of the opposition's mental bandwidth by their presence, and that's what it takes in the playoffs. To me, he is just a total built playoff performer because of all of the elements of his personality, his game, his work ethic, and just the way he goes about things. Yeah, no, he he's the entire package. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember doing an interview on – Uh, brotherly pod about two and a half years ago and we brought on eric francis who covers the the calgary flames for sportsnet so you're talking 2021 here and i remember eric francis saying like this guy is a superstar people just don't know it yet and that's exactly what matthew kachuk is i think the secret was out on him last year when he was still with calgary when he and his two other line mates all hit 100 points but you know you ask me who, what winger I would want in the NHL. And there is a very, very serious case to be made for Matthew Kachuk. Now, obviously, if you say David Posternock or if you say Mitch Marner or even yep. Amiko Rontanen, I won't, I won't, uh, you know, shoo you away. Kirill Kaprizov as well. But I would think hard and heavily about Matthew Kachuk and forget just wingers, like even center. Like you've yeah. seen the impact that Matthew Kachuk has had on that team. And I know that Barkov wears the C, but I I think it's almost obvious that he is one of the biggest leaders on that team, if not the biggest leader. And like, aside from McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, you know, even Austin Matthews, if you're asking me this year who I'd rather on my team, Matthews or Matthew Kachuk, I think I'm going with the latter at this point. Well, the thing is is this too, is, is Matthew Kachuk, like they, everybody always says, 
oh my god when he was available if he would be a god as a flyer and he would but he's going to be a god no matter where he plays because of how good he is and how he plays i mean he is just unbelievable and if that Brady Kachuk kid makes it to UFA status, I'm doing everything I can to get him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's a super a superstar, but he's definitely a hell of a player as well. And Matthew Kachuk, yeah. for a smaller market team like the Florida Panthers, he's exactly what the doctor ordered. Yeah, I get butts, butts and seats. Yeah, I played against the old man. That's how old I am. <laughs> you know, we're on the same day, March 30th, <laughs> 1972. The old man lit me up. Um, so, all right, that's going to put a wrap on it. Great stuff on the fourthperiod.com. Make sure you follow in at demarco 25 Enjoy the second round, my friend. We'll be back at it. We'll crank it up again next week. Yeah, man, looking forward to it. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco, joining us on episode 64. Let's go from, we had Anthony Sanfilippo. We had Anthony DeMarco. Let's go to a little something we call Tone's Takes right now, and we go to Antonio. What's going on, Tone? What's up, Jason? How you doing? Holy shit, man. There's no time to catch your breath. Two game sevens the other day. Game seven last night. The Devils punched their ticket to the second round. And why don't we just start that second round tonight? How about that? Yeah, gotta love it, man. What a first round that was. I'm telling you, that first round was unbelievable. When you look what happened two days ago, 135-point team gets knocked out by a 92-point team. And, you know, obvious cup favorite in Boston. And then the cup champs from last year get bounced in the first round by a second-year expansion team in Seattle with all that yep. depth, the great goaltending from Grubauer. And, th- yep. and then the Devils look dead to rights in games one and two, lose both yep. games at home by a score of five to one. Lindy yep. regroups them. They win three straight, and then they lose, and he goes, oh, no. And then they come back last night, and they dominate the game. Yeah, it's a far cry from the fired Lindy, Lindy chance that they were saying. Right? I remember the first, first week and a half of the season when they, I think they got off to a slow start. The fans are trying to fire Lindy, and then, yeah. and out of Kira Schmid, man, that kid, that kid cool. is uh, ice in his veins. He played, he played for now. He saved them, dude. He, he saved did. them, yeah. and and that's hard to do when that other guy's at the other end. Look, a lot of people say yeah, like exactly. goalies don't play against the other goalie. Bullshit. There's a thing yeah. called human nature. You want to outduel that guy at the other end, and that's a tough guy to outduel, and he did. Yep, exactly. I mean. It's just I don't want to say I feel bad for the Rangers, but I feel bad for the goalies. The same thing with Lundqvist, man. He didn't get really much run support with that team, and now it seems like it's you know it's gonna be the same thing happening with Igor. Like, yeah, he gave know? it to the bench the other night too. He did. He did. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Always be a little careful with that. Gotta yeah, be a little careful exactly. as a goalie doing exactly. that. But uh, <laughs> let's look at the second round. So so far, NHL year to date, you're plus thirty nine point seven zero units. Um, and tonight we get underway with, with the team that I think tone is the one that's going to come out of the West. And frankly, I, I think they're my cup favorite right now. And that's the Dallas stars. you got a couple plays here. Let's start with, uh, the 2017 draft pick Miro Heiskanen. You like the overrun shots on goal here at getting plus money. Yeah. Two and two and a half plus one Oh five. Uh, he hit it in all three games versus Seattle this year. Uh, Kale McCarr for Colorado had at least three shots on goal in five of the six games he played. So I think Hastenen is going to be able to get his uh, get his shots through on this uh, on the Seattle team, and he's he's up in the play now as well. Not as much as McCarr, but he's you know you know quarterbacks are power play. He's very involved, so I like the plus money price on him here. Yeah, he's in all situations D man for mm-hmm. sure, and still a young one as well. Um, do you like Dallas in the game here too? Plus the under and Jake Ottinger to me. 
you know, Grubauer was great in that first round and, and certainly mm-hmm. elevated his game way beyond where I thought he could do it based on this regular season. Uh, but Ottinger is the real deal, every bit the real deal. So the under is the play in this game and getting plus money there as well at six and a half. Yeah, I like Dallas. I like the under. It's a 3 1 game. Yeah, I'm going to put it together and go plus 135 for the payout. Um, I like fading teams off a seven game win, um, especially with a day off in between. Um, so I think, I think Dallas is going to be able to handle Seattle tonight. Um, like you said, Ottinger, like this guy is, I'm personally rooting as a fan for Edmonton to get to the finals, but I think Dallas is a team, the only team in the West, um, that's going to be able to beat them. And that's because of Jake Ottinger. He has a career save percentage of 0.945. Uh, he absolutely shut the door in the last three games of that Minnesota series. And they were down two one, give up three goals in the last three games of that series, including a shutout of one. So um, um, he, that kid's a, that kid's a stud. I'm a big fan of his, and it was kind of like up and down this year, but it seems like he's back back into his uh, playoff form of last year in that Calgary series. We remember, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know that Toronto. You know we got game one tonight, Toronto and Florida. The shackles are now off Toronto. They've won their first playoff series since 04, 19 years. I, I just I have a hard time seeing what they're going to be in the second round. Is it the shackles are off and now that that hurdle, like it's almost like Washington getting over the hump of Pittsburgh all those yep. years is Toronto in the first round. Are they just going to explode here in the second round? I mean, what happens here? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to get off to a good start at least, you know, going off of the game seven thing with Florida, you know, that big win against Boston. Um, I like them in the first period here, uh, minus a half plus 145. I like them for the game minus one. I think this is going to be a seven-game series. Florida is pesky. They're not going to go away. This is going to be a great entertaining series. There's going to be a lot of goals. Um, I think tonight's going to be a little uh, little bit of a feeling-out process. But, I mean, like you guys were talking about before, Matthew Kachuk is just an absolute stud. And him and him and Matthew's head-to-head in this series, it's going to be – it's going to be fun to watch this one. Oh, no doubt. It's going to it's going to get nasty. I mean, you, yep. just the stakes are higher and higher. I mean, talk about two great games. I mean, we're right back at it tonight. You get Florida heading to to Toronto to take on the Leafs. Seattle then tra- I mean, this is the the travel series nightmare from hell. Seattle yep. and, and Dallas. There's a lot of a lot of mileage in that series, boy. Oof. Yeah, yeah. All these games, all these matchups are going to be are going to be fun. The Edmonton Vegas matchup, they always play great games against each other. Um, you know, Devils Carolina. I like the Devils to win that series. I do too. Um, you know, yeah. I said that earlier. Yeah. yeah, I like the Devils win that series. I think Carolina's yeah, scoring depth is going to it's going to it's going to come back to hurt them. You know, yeah, no Shvetch hurts so. them. It does. So, yeah, and then and not having Patch already too. I know that was a big big signing for them, but you know they're just yeah. I mean, taking sixty goals out of lineup. Yeah, there's just a team that can't get, you know, past that, I guess, second round kind of hump. You know, it's, I don't know, see what yeah. happens. But I think the Devils are uh, playing with house money here. You think, I mean, look at Vegas. You think Edmonton is able to, to get by them? I do. I, I, it's the, I mean, I know Edmonton's goaltending is not, I guess, that much better, but it's Skinner's been playing very well. And, you know, I know Broussard has been playing well for Vegas, but I don't think he's the type of goaltender that's going to be able to shut that shut that team down. So. Okay. I think Edmonton's going to win that series. My printer just started printing. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> and one of my daughters just decided to print something out of the blue. Uh, all right, so the plays tonight, let's recap them real quick. You got uh, the uh, Heisken and over two and a half shots on goal, plus 205. 
Dallas in the under at six and a half at plus 135, the combo. Then the Dimers plays Toronto minus a half in the first period at plus 145, and Toronto minus a goal uh, at minus 108 tonight to start off that series. Uh, Tone, where can people get your info? Uh, Dimers.com and then also on Twitter at Tone Stakes. Awesome. Tone, thanks for doing this. We'll talk next week as the second round right. continues, brother. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. There he is. Tone Stakes at Tone Stakes on Twitter. And uh, get some plays in for tonight. All right, that wraps up episode 64 of Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody enjoy your hockey tonight. We'll talk to you next week, probably after the NHL Draft Lottery. Hopefully it's a celebration. So we'll see where that goes. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Stick to Hockey Live.